Good morning, Foothill Church. My name is Alina. I'm a covenant partner here, and I volunteer on the worship team. And today's scripture is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 43. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. He put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to, came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seeds is the son of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. This is God's word. You may be seated. Uh, all right. I gotta ask you guys a question, and please be honest with me. This is a safe space. Uh, how many of you guys were not popular in high school? Come on, raise those hands. <laughs> I've seen some of you guys in action. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Interesting. I think maybe you guys just aren't. So, like five people raised their hands. All of you were popular in high school? <laughs> you know, actually that makes sense because I asked the nine o'clock, I asked them who was popular in high school. Literally, literally one person raised their hand. And maybe that makes sense because all the nerds go to the early service and all the cool people go to the later service. Yeah. So 9 a.m. is if you're hearing this, nerds. <laughs> uh, I'm with my people, the populars. Just kidding. I am not with my people. If that's true, if you were the, the popular people, which again, Lucas Parks is here, so that can't be true. Uh, I was not popular. I love everybody. I was not popular in high school. And I know some of you guys are like, no way. I don't believe it. I know. I know. Um, I was not popular in high school. In fact, uh, we, I was talking to someone uh, a few days ago, and I saw a picture of them in high school, and I'm like, whoa, what happened, buddy? You look good. And he was like, come on, we, we all looked better in high school. Someone's like, not Brian, and showed my driver's uh, license picture from when I was 15 and a half, and I looked like, 
You ever leave food outside and it starts kind of like getting gross? I look like the human version of that. Like I look kind of like emaciated and just kind of like, I don't know what it is. I look at yearbook photos. My head was too big. My body was just not right. I don't think I'm a looker now, but it was, it was bad in high school. And, uh, you know, I had all the things that, that were associated with that. I was not good at sports. I was a very awkward person. I was not a popular person in high school. And so I just remember the struggles of high school pr- pretty well. And uh, one of my favorite things of being the, the youth minister here is I get to work with high school and junior high students. And I get to live vicariously through them and be like, oh, that's what it was like to be popular. Um, But also what I find interesting is that a lot of the questions that they have, a lot of the issues that they have were similar to the stuff that I faced in high school, even though it's, it's relatively different. And I think it's a lot of the same questions that we as adults still ask today. Somebody once said that we never actually leave high school. Uh, You're in high school forever. The terms just change. Instead of being lonely in the cafeteria, you're just lonely in the break room. Uh, Instead of having a jerk teacher, you have a jerk boss, right? You still, instead of having annoying classmates, you just have annoying cubicle mates or whatever it is. Like, it's just all the same. The drama just follows you until we die. Um, (laughs) There's hope for us Christians. I'll I'll get to that. Anyway, so I was saying that there's questions that I feel like they get asked a lot in high school. I realize these are some of the same questions that we ask all the time. Really, really basic things, like really basic, just my identity. The basic, you know, who am I as a person? Um, How do we view other people even? This morning, we're going to talk about, uh, if, if you have your Bibles, Matthew 13, we're, uh, it's another parable about seeds. We did one last week about the sower sowing good seed. Today, we're talking about good seed, and we're talking about weeds. Or if you have an older translation, maybe it says tares. The whole idea for this message that we're going to dive into is just, how do we, as Christians, this is a parable mostly to, to his followers, how do we as Christians navigate a world of weeds? How do we navigate a world of wickedness? And the reason I brought up the whole high school thing is, like I said, I think those questions still carry over. So like, who am I? How do I view other people? How do I, if I'm a Christian, I, was, uh, I, I went to Christian school until high school, and then I went to public high school. And for me, it was just like, man, how do I live in this? Like, I feel like I'm living in two different worlds at the same time. When the kingdom is moving in one direction and the earthly kingdom is moving in the other, how do, like, who should I be friends with? How do I hang out with people? How do I interact with people? How do I, I talk to others? And why does it just feel like, why does it feel like the world is so hard? Why does it feel like I'm constantly being pulled in two different directions? And if I go with one thing, there's persecution. If I go for another thing, maybe there's massive guilt or conviction. Or what, how do I live as a Christian in a world of unrighteousness? I felt that a lot in high school. And, and maybe you feel that as an adult, or maybe if you're still in high school or junior high, I hope that this is helpful to you. And so let's dive in together and let's see. There's a couple of things that I want us to see of what Jesus tries to help us understand. Again, he's speaking to Christians. If you're not a Christian, I'm so glad you're here with us this morning. But if you are, he's helping us understand how do we live in a world of wickedness? How ought we to think? What should we value? So here's the first thing I want you to see is this. God allows the righteous and the unrighteous to grow together. God allows the righteous and the unrighteous to grow together. Look with me in verse uh, 24 through 27. Jesus, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? 
So here's what's happening. Parables are stories that Jesus tells. We've been going through these for a few weeks. And every time he tells a parable, it's got a deep point to it. Often he's describing the kingdom of heaven. He'll just say straight up, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And when he tells these stories, it's very purposeful. They're often pretty short stories. And every person, every element has some sort of meaning. And as we'll see here, as Alina just read for us, there's something like seven spiritual connections to earthly things, right? And so he says, hey, the, the wheat we know are the righteous people, those who follow Jesus. The weeds are the unrighteous, the sinners, the, the ones who don't follow Jesus. Uh, the, the farmer would be God. He's spreading the seed. Uh, the, the helpers are the angels. The enemy is Satan. So we're seeing these connections here. So just to, to make us clear, what we're talking about, the unrighteous are the weeds, the righteous, the followers of Jesus, those are the wheat. And what we need to see here is that they grow together. What we also need to understand is some of the historical context to what's happening. We hear this, we're like, oh, it's kind of a strange thing. This would have had a pretty different impact on the people hearing this in, in the ancient Near East. So just, you know, the enemy going out and spreading seeds, that actually happened. That was a common enough occurrence that uh, it was outlawed by the Roman Empire. This was something that, that caused devastation financially, where this would be something akin to our version of like a, a hostile corporate takeover, you know, or, or some kind of like bad business or, or just some, some shady dealings, basically. How do you take out your enemy? Well, with them in a very agricultural-based society, you ruin their crop. They didn't have bank accounts or 401ks. For this man, this was his everything. For us, it, it would be similar to like you find out that your passwords have been stolen. Your 401k has been hacked into. All your investments, whatever it is, your wealth, your net worth, that has been taken over. That has been ruined. Someone did insider trading, something, whatever it is, what you have is now tainted. And if you're not careful, it'll be gone. So they hear this and they're like, this is devastating news. This is not good. And even more so, I want you to see why this had such big ramifications. Uh, Craig Blomberg, he has a commentary on this, and he says this. The specific weeds mentioned in Matthew 13, 25, Darnell, often looked outwardly quite similar to wheat as the two plants matured. Yet even if they were accurately distinguished, fully uprooting the weeds would frequently pull up the wheat plants at the same time. Donald grains, moreover, are poisonous so that to have it mixed in uh, with wheat renders the crop commercially useless as well as potentially harmful. So hear this, and then hopefully you hear what they were hearing. This was terrible news. It looks really similar, so it's hard to know what is weed, what is wheat. They look really close, but even if you are able to figure it out, you pull out the weeds, and often that would also pull out the wheat. I know there's some people here who work in, in gardening and farming and stuff. You, you really, that, that's the case. And that's, it's just bad news. What do they do? And so they hear this and this is, that would have been devastating news to the people who heard that. And I think many of us probably feel that same way when it comes to what he's talking about, living with those in wickedness. If we're being honest, I think we have a tendency to want to be around people who are just like us, Right? We all know, we'll all say that diversity is, is good. And I genuinely believe that many of us mean that. We know diversity, it can push thought, it can push innovation. Um, I'm not even just talking about like, you know, race or culture, but just even like how we think. Isn't it a lot more comfortable just being with people who are like us? 
You know, we, we like to have people who are similar to us. Think about some of your best friends. Maybe you have some best friends who are really different from you. You're an introvert, they're an extrovert, whatever. But often if you look, the closest friends, especially those into adulthood, there's really similar values. There's similar cares. There's similar ideals. It's more comfortable being with someone, being with a group of people that are more like you than with people who are not just disagreeing with you, but they hate the things that you love, Right? That seems a lot more difficult. Maybe we can be fine with people we have disagreements with, but can we live arm in arm in community with people who hate the things we love and love the things we hate? That sounds way more like enemies. And that's often how a lot of us think. We feel this way, we feel this way politically. I've heard people say this a lot in the past few years where the only hope for America is if the country splits and Democrats go one way and, and Republicans go the other way. That's the only hope. We can just live kind of outside the borders. Right? This is what we did with racism. We're like, oh, separate but equal. So we have segregation. It's just easier to separate. And we look, we're like, okay, that, that's wrong. But then it, it seems like it would be wise to some degree, right? Paul, Paul even says this when we're talking about marriage. Paul says, do not be unequally yoked with someone who is not a believer. I'm doing premarital right now, and I've talked about this with my students. It is unwise. It is a bad idea to get into a relationship of marriage with someone who does not serve the same Lord as you. So we see to some degree with our closest people, okay, maybe it's wise here, but then we also, does that spread out the whole way? Because people have done this. We've seen Amish communities spread out, right? We've seen church communities, people who completely separate themselves from the world. So all they have is their Christian community bubble. So they have like a whole area, a whole town, a whole place where it's just Christians and there's no outside influence. There's no outsiders. There's nothing. They have completely segregated themselves from, from wickedness, from the world. And to some degree, that probably sounds attractive, Right? We do this on micro cases with, with homeschooling and, and Christian schooling. I'm not opposed to those. I'm just saying we, we understand that idea. And so why, why don't we? Right? It seems so appealing, so easy. Think of our children. We want to make sure they stay safe. Why don't we just separate? Well, that is not what we have been called to do. If you look at uh, John 17, uh, starting in verse 14, it's the end of, uh, Jesus has this, this long monologue, if you will, at the Last Supper, his last meal with his disciples before he gets crucified. And he tells them a lot. And one of the last things he says is, is this. He's praying to his father, he's praying to God over his disciples, and this is what he's praying for. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God never calls his people to escape. He calls his people to dive in, to live among the weeds, but not to become the weeds. To live among wickedness, but not to assimilate with wickedness. He leaves the righteous and the unrighteous together. We think, God, wouldn't it just be so much easier? It'd be so much easier to serve the Lord if I wasn't surrounded by temptation. It'd be so much easier to be a good Christian if I didn't have to be afraid that I was going to get fired for speaking against some, some sinful thought. It'd be so much easier, Lord. And maybe that's true, 
right? Maybe that is true, but I just think of the people here in this room. Many of you probably grew up in the church, maybe your parents were Christian, but I know that there's many of us in this room who did not grow up Christian. And if it weren't for someone there in the world, you wouldn't be here. If it wasn't for a neighbor, if it wasn't for a teacher, if it wasn't for a friend or a family member who shared the gospel, who brought you in, you wouldn't be here. And so what happens when we get this feeling of like, I just want to be with those, with those in the kingdom so I don't have to deal with the strife of the world. It's an understandable desire. It's a desire that I've had. It's a desire we often have for our children. But I think often if we're careful, that really comes from a sense of selfishness and a sense of, a sense of fear. We want things to be easier to be comfortable for us. We're happy with our suburban Christianity. We want it to be good and easy. And we want things to be safe. We're afraid of contending with wickedness. But in his divine sovereignty, this is what God has brought forth for us, that we live among the wicked. Not to become like them, not to adopt their ways, but to be cities on the hill. To show them the love of Christ by loving them ourselves. And so hear me, there, there's still wisdom in this. I, I still think that your closest friends, your confidants, the people who have the biggest influence in your life, I still think those should be Christians. This is what the community is for. This is what the church is for. You ought to be in a growth group, I think. You should be serving in some capacity. You should have community roots. That's a good thing. But it shouldn't be your only community. I think it's clear we should be out in the marketplace. There should be connections and handshakes and moments that we have with the world. Again, not to become like them, but to spread his gospel further. The Lord has left us out. I think the gospel, if we're not careful, it becomes a gated community where it ought to become way more like a refuge center. I... And I have to deal with that myself. I, right now, our family is very much in the foothill bubble, right? We live, uh, you know, like 20 yards that way. We, I work here. Our life is in foothill. And so we've had to find ways. We've had to be creative to find ways of, of getting out. So like, hey, at, at parks, at family gatherings, at things, how can we go and be among the people to be them, to talk to them, to pray for them? The Lord has called us to live among the wicked for the sake of their souls. Let's continue. The second thing we can see here is that the weeds and the seeds can look similar. Look at verse 29. Uh, but he said, no, uh, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Uh, so it's not super obvious in the text, but we know this based on the context that the wheat and the weeds often looked very similar. It was hard to tell right away. It wasn't like, okay, this is my, these are my carrots and these are the dandelions. It, was really it, it wasn't clear on which was which. Uh, and so, here's what we can glean from that. It's hard to tell sometimes, right? It was hard for them to see which was wheat and which was weed. And in the same case for us, we don't know for sure sometimes if someone is a Christian or if someone isn't. God sees the heart. We don't. And so what do we do with this? Well, there's a couple of things. The first thing I would say is we should be discerning. Look at what uh, Jesus says in Matthew 7. He says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. So are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but if the diseased tree bears bad fruit, 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. This is what Jesus is trying to help us understand here. How do we know? Hey, wheat might be weeds, weeds might be wheat. How, how do we know? What does that mean? Well, he said, hey, it should actually be somewhat clear if you look at the fruit produced by their lives. So let's break this down a little bit. The first thing he says is there's uh, sheeps in, in wolves' clothing. What does that mean? It's talking about false teachers, talking about people who come into the church and they want to attack. They want to bring destruction to the church. And that doesn't always just mean false teachers. Sometimes a wolf in sheep's clothing, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a pastor or a theologian. Um, I was a part of a church, hopefully you never are, I was a part of a church that had a church split. And I remember one of the most devastating uh, one of the, yeah, the devastating causes of that was people who I, I would say were wolves. They were not pastors. They were not on staff. They just came in and they had gossip and they had bitterness and they um, sowed division. And it was a big reason why that church started to crumble. So this can be anybody who comes in, they call themselves a Christian, they bring pain. It could be false teachers uh, with heresies. It's not always that. But Paul does make it a... Um, he makes it clear, right? He says, hey, if anybody comes bringing a gospel that is different from what I've said, that is a false gospel and they are not to be listened to. Here's the thing. I think if we're being honest, Jesus has called us to pretty radical things, right? Think about what he's called us to. He said, hey, you, you die to yourself, you follow me, and this is what following me looks like. You should be radically generous, not just giving, to, giving money to charity every now and then, but you should be willing to give of yourself as I have given. You give it of yourself. The next thing he says is, hey, no sexual immorality. And the way that sex is defined is, is a gift from God, but it's meant to be for a man and a woman in the context of marriage, and, and that's it. So we have that. Then we have, hey, you gotta love your enemies. You treat one another as they're more important than you are. No coarse talk, no words that bring down people, but instead of words that encourage. Uh, we should have ambition for the kingdom, not just for like our own name to be great. So maybe you hear some of those things I talk about and you're like, yeah, one, one or two of those things are maybe easy for you, but all of those things, for being honest, we fail a lot at some of those things. And a lot of those things, they are not the natural tendency of our heart, right? This, this is what I'm saying. It should be obvious to some degree who has Jesus as their Lord? Because Jesus called us to hard things. And so we should be living in an opposite direction. So it's easy to call yourself a Christian. The famous youth group saying that we said all the time, you can, uh, you can be in McDonald's, but that doesn't make you a hamburger, right? You can be in a garage, it doesn't make you a car. You can be in a church, that doesn't make you a Christian. It's a cheesy saying, but it is a true one. Just being next to godliness doesn't mean that he is your master. And so we see this in some sense. We see the fruit of that. We see this in, in, in certain teachings that come up, right? We see this in the prosperity gospel. I feel like this has been called out more and more lately, which I'm really grateful for. But this is how it happens. You get something like the prosperity gospel. Where it comes up and it says, you know, if you just pray enough, if you obey enough, the Lord will give you all of your earthly needs and you'll get a Lamborghini and riches, live your best life now. And that is anti-Bible. That is not true. That is against scripture. That is a false teaching. We can look by the fruit of that and see that is not true. Of other things like, like progressive Christianity that just seeks to mimic the world, to mimic the world's values. These are falsehoods. And so Christians, we should be discerning and we should see that these are not true. 
Just like there's pastors who have preached good things before, pastors who have preached solid sermons, but it's not true in their own hearts. And so we ought to look and see, okay, if the weeds look like wheat, how do we know one way we can look and we can see, hey, is there fruit of the spirit? Is there gentleness? Is there patience? Is there self-control? Do we see this evident? So how do we know weeds are wheat? We don't don't know for sure, but the Lord has shown us to, to give discernment. But I wouldn't just stop there because look at the very next thing that he says in Matthew 7. He tells us, look, we should see the fruits of someone. But then he goes a little bit further and he says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. One of the scariest passages in all the Bible because there's people who think that they're Christians and he will say, depart from me. There's people in this room that if I were to ask you, you'd say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I serve Jesus. But when you go and you stand before the Lord, he may say, depart from me, I never knew you. Why does he give us this this truth about discernment, about fruit? I think, yes, it is to look for false teachers and watch out for them, but I think he gives it for us. We ought to look at our own hearts and discern. David said this, Lord, search my heart and show me if there's sin in me. Some of us, some of us know this. Some of us know that we're just nominal Christians. We're fans of Jesus, but we really serve another king. Some of us are are blind to this and the enemy loves that. He wants to keep us blind to that. He'll distract you from thinking too hard about that. Look, what what I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the person who's like, yeah, I'm a Christian. Ah, man, I sinned last week. Does that that mean I'm not a Christian because I sinned? No, like we're we're being sanctified. in, In this present age, this sin happens. We repent from that. We move forward. However, if I were to tell you I was married to my wife, I told you I'd cheat on her every Tuesday and every Saturday, you'd be like, you do not love your wife. If there is this pattern of habitual sin that I am unrepentant of, my heart is not broken over, that love, that allegiance, that is not there. Some of us in this room, especially like, hey, it's getting a little bit harder, but it's still pretty easy to claim suburban Christianity, just the easy kind of nominal Christianity, cultural Christianity. That will not save you. That is not good enough. Because what we're doing, we're just serving a God, a Christianity of our own flavor. It's like, I'll serve Jesus with these things, but I'm just really not a fan of this stuff. That's not serving Jesus. And if you do that, that's the heart of a weed. And so it is a grace for us to look and to just turn and see, okay, am I a nominal, am I a fan of Jesus rather than a follower of Jesus? I ought to look deeply and say, Lord, I do not want this to be true. I want everything in my life should belong to you. Okay, the next thing I want us to see and then how do we, how do we, what do we do with, uh, you know, we don't know who are the weeds, who are the wheat. We should discern. But the second thing we should do is this, rather not do, is do not pull up the roots. Um, in verse 31 through 33, Jesus kind of goes off on, on a tangent, it seems. And he says this, he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. 
He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So like I said earlier, we don't know for sure what's weed and what's wheat, even though it may seem obvious at the time, right? There's people out there in the world who are, they're very bold and saying, like, I'm an atheist, or I, you know, I, I don't love God, I think Christianity is stupid, whatever it is. They're very anti that. And so it seems clear to us, they're weeds. They do not follow Jesus. However, we don't know what weeds are actually, they, they later become weeds. Zacchaeus, a wee little man was he, he also, he looked like a weed. Moses, Paul, think about Paul. And before he became Paul, he was Saul and he hated the church and he persecuted the church. The disciples had these words of Jesus before this was happening. So they would have heard the words of Jesus. They see Saul hating and persecuting the church. And they're like, absolutely. That guy is a weed. He is an enemy of the church, an enemy of the kingdom. And absolutely, I can believe in their minds, they're like, it would be better for the church if the Lord just killed Saul. It would be better if he just got rid of his enemies of the church. Do we ever think that? It would be better if the Lord just removed this wicked governor, this sinful celebrity, this person in my life. If they just took away their power, their influence, their life, it just brought judgment. It would be better if they were done. For sure, disciples would have thought that. For sure, the Christians would have thought that about Saul. But then what does he do? In an amazing twist and show of his glory, of his power, he takes Saul and he turns him into Paul, one of the most amazing soldiers for the kingdom that we've ever seen. Writes a third of the New Testament. It's easy for us to see the people be like, it would be better, Lord, for you to get rid of them. But we don't know. Maybe the Lord will change their heart and we ought to pray for that. We don't have time to get too into the whole mustard seed and the leaven here. There's more stuff to say. Quickly, the, the reason I, I just want to point it out is because it's the mustard seed, a really, really small seed, not the smallest seed in the world, but the smallest seed in that culture, that agricultural culture. It's a really, really small seed, really tiny, you know, and, and a lot of times size, it would, you know, it, it's pitiful. This idea of smallness, it's used to show this idea of, of pitifulness. And so what he's saying is here, even the mustard seed, they plant it. And in real life, mustard trees grow to be about 14, 15 feet. The picture he's painting here is he's saying, in my kingdom, the mustard seed, the tiniest of all seeds, will grow to something so big that all the birds of the air will rest in it. Or like leaven, a little bit of leaven, all the dough rises. The kingdom of God will spread. The kingdom of heaven will not be stopped. It will spread. And often it comes from the tiniest, most pitiful looking seed, the tiniest start. You ever think about how strange it is? That if you're a Christian, your whole worldview is dedicated to some 30-year-old Palestinian man who lived 2,000 years ago, you know, like way far from you. How when he died, there was just a handful of followers and look to what it spread to today. The kingdom of heaven will not be stopped from spreading. It will start with small roots. Therefore, Christian, we should not be afraid to take part and our part of, of gardening, our part of spreading the news, the seed of, of, of the kingdom. I think often when we think of people, we, we all, right, you all have names and, and faces of people in your life, coworker, um, father, brother, whoever, someone who doesn't know Jesus. 
And don't we think like, man, I just wish I could get this leading apologist to come and speak to them and just break down all their ideas of, of atheism or whatever it is. Or I wish that miracles would just happen today like they did back then. That would show my dad that Jesus is real. But often, it's the smallest seeds, the smallest invitation that brings someone in. The mustard seed, the mustard seed of an invite. Inviting somebody to church, inviting someone in your home. What if you took that, that coworker who was just like blatantly nowhere near the kingdom? What if you showed them kindness and just invited them in? Does that guarantee that they become a Christian? Probably not. But that's a step. Um, in my family, in my family, y'all, in my family, um, <laughs> there's just, there's the four of us. And then uh, I was the first one in my, my household family to, to know the Lord. Uh, a youth pastor shared the gospel with me. is really impactful on my life. And then by God's grace, it got the rest of my family. Uh, and then there was an aunt who already, she, she was a Christian. Uh, I have a pretty big family. Uh, I grew up in the Bay Area. And uh, just on my, my mom's side, my mom is one of nine. And then there's also three foster kids on top of that. So I counted once. I'm one of like um, 41 grandkids. Uh, there's just like, yeah, I know, it's a lot. Uh, there, there's a lot of us. Uh, the Martinez clan is big, it's rowdy. And out of just that group, it's just, it's my immediate family and it was this aunt who were Christians. And there's, there's more family on top of that. But all the, the rest of, let's just, for this sake, the rest of this, you know, 40, 50 some people, none of them were Christians. And they ranged from really ambivalent to the gospel to don't even speak that stuff to me. Very, very anti, very hostile towards it. So just me, is just my aunt. Prayed for a while that the Lord would do something. And then uh, uh, last month, just a couple weeks ago, my aunt, uh, the only other one who, who was a Christian, she died. Uh, she had cancer for a while. And so I, I went back home with my son. I went up to go be with my mom. And um, it, was, it was the first of, my, of that siblings, that generation to die. And so my family was really sad. They were really upset. They were, they were really mournful. And it was good to go up and to be with them. And, and when I first left, I had this intent of like, I want to share the gospel with them. I want to have conversations with them. But the closer I got, and, and even as I got there and started being a part of the conversations, I just, I started to feel more, more timid. I was like, man, is this the right time? They're, they're super upset. I know they've not been open to this before. I don't want to make them angry. I don't want to ruin this relationship. I don't want to be insensitive. And I just, I just really felt a lot of like a fear, I guess, towards this. I don't know if this is the right move. And, and so I was like, man, I, I don't want to waste this. God, I don't know. I don't feel like I have wisdom here. Would you please just lead me? I, I care about my family. I know you care about them. Would you just give me an opportunity? Would you open up? Would you make it clear to me if this is, and I don't even know what to say. Would you tell me what to say? And so after meeting with some family for a little bit, I have a cousin who's my age. We grew up together. It's the closest thing I have to a brother. And um, usually when we go, we, we try to get together and, and have wings. And so I say, hey, man, let's do it. I put my kid down. We went over. We had wings. And um, they, were, they were delicious. And uh, <laughs> we, were, we were together for a few hours. And for the first couple hours, we just had wings. We were watching sports. We were complaining about how terrible the Raiders are. And we were talking about uh, everything. He was talking about how he couldn't get a girl to like him. And I laughed at him, man. You know, we were just like, just normal conversation of just this, this guy that I grew up with. And it was just nothing. And I was like, okay, we'll just have this conversation. And we left. We, we walked each other out to our cars. We were parked. It was late at night. It was almost midnight. And it's like, God, if you want, I'm, I'm here. But, you know, whatever. And I just started, and I just asked a question. Often you find death opens doors to the gospel. And there's my aunt, but it was his grandma. So I asked him how he was doing. And we started talking. And 
It was really cool to see that. I feel like this has happened before where I just kind of walk out in faith and the Lord, it felt like a spiritual teleprompter. I don't know what to say, but I feel like the Lord kept giving me things to say. And it started pretty like, he's like, man, I've heard this. I don't want to hear this stuff. To by the end, we talked for two hours about Jesus. And by the end, like I share the gospel with him. This is the most gospel conversation I've ever had with him. It's the most open he's ever been to it. And I wish, I, I wish that I could say that he in that moment, he gave his life to Jesus. He didn't. But it was the most open he's ever been. And, and, and often that's how it works. Often it's the smallest seed. And I'm, I'm really thankful that in that moment, the Lord gave me the boldness, gave me the words. And it's just, I mean, it's just family. I shouldn't feel afraid. It's not like I'm, you know, on death row or anything. Christian, the Lord gives us examples. The Lord has given us a jurisdiction. You've been placed in that office. You've been placed in that family. You've been placed in that neighborhood, maybe surrounded by wickedness and it's uncomfortable and you wish that it wasn't that way. But what if you've been placed in that jurisdiction because that person next to you is not a wheat, is not a weed, they're wheat, and they just need to hear the gospel. And the Lord has chosen you as a vessel to share that good news. Let us not be obstacles to the gospel, but let us be faithful. The last thing I want us to see is this. God is sovereign over salvation, and he will be victorious over evil. Sovereign over salvation, victorious over evil. It's not uncommon for when Jesus talked to his disciples for, them to say, for him to say something really big, really radical, and then just kind of leave, and there's a tension there. And if you've been paying attention, maybe you kind of hear the tension that the, the disciples were left with. Because the question I asked before is, hey, what should Christians do with wickedness, with evil? What ought we to do? Well, we live among it, but we don't assimilate to it. We live among it, we don't cower to it, and we don't, we don't take it, we don't preach it. We ought to preach against it. Right? Paul says our, our enemies are not flesh and blood. There's principality, there's ideals. So for example, abortion clearly grieves the Lord. It is not biblical. It is, it is sinful. So we ought to preach against abortion. We ought to preach against you know, these hot topics of the day, whatever it is, and be bold in that. But what about the people that espouse abortion? What about abortion doctors? What about legislators of abortion? Again, I can go back to, I was just thinking it would just be better if they weren't here. We Christians are not called to take vengeance on people doing evil things. We're called to pray, we're called to preach against evil. But then what does that mean? Does the evil just stay victorious? Does the evil just continue? Jesus was telling this parable to his disciples and no doubt they were thinking of like, man, we're just a bunch of poor, like we're, we're nothings. And then you have the Pharisees, you have the Roman Empire and all their wickedness. Everything they're doing is straight up sinful, but they seem so, they seem like they're still in power. They seem like God does not care. So what do we do when we see more and more that the culture is just going further and further against what is good, what is holy, and what is just? Well, we can remember is that God is sovereign over salvation and he will be victorious over evil. Look at verse 40 through 43. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The son of man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. 
do you know that Jesus is coming back? We're going to talk about this later this year, but you know, Advent, the idea of, you know, usually we think, we think of Christmas. Advent just means arrival. Jesus came once. So we celebrate with Christmas. He's coming again. And when he comes again, he will wipe away every tear. He will remove all evil. He will make things right yet again. There is coming the day when the true enemy of our souls and his sons, when the sons of wickedness, it will be removed. Those who say, I hate the Lord and I will reject his mercy and I do not want him, they will get what they want. And the enemy, Satan, who has moved against us, tried to destroy the kingdom, he will get destruction. The sons and daughters of righteousness, they will be with him. There's coming the day he is gathering those with him to him. And at that time, all the wheat will be revealed and we will be together in his kingdom with him and it will be joyful. So he will be victorious over evil. But there's another thing I want us to see quickly. But before we leave, like I said, he is sovereign over salvation. Do you know, have you ever thought about this? And when we get to heaven, I guarantee we're going to see people there that we're going to be shocked, I think, are there. Be it, fa- be it family members, be it whatever. Um, just, just as an example, just, there's this, the Jeffrey Dahmer show is popular right now. It just came out on Netflix. And uh, it, it's kind of been making the rounds a little bit because uh, it, it's come out that apparently Jeffrey Dahmer gave his life to Jesus at the end of his life. And he had a pastor and apparently he proclaimed Jesus. And, and this has actually happened a couple of times. Ted Bundy also, I don't know if you know this, but at the end of his life, he, he proclaimed Jesus. How would you feel if when we get to heaven, you see Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer and Hitler and, and child abusers and murder. How would you feel? Does that, is that right with you? Does that sit right? Is that, is that ruffle your feet? Like, what, what does that do? I think the only reason that that should not sit right with us is if we still believe that we are more deserving of salvation than others. And that's just not the case. We should hate evil. We should hate wickedness. We should fight against it. But we should know we were wicked. We were not wheat on our own merit. We were weeds changed into wheat by the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've been saved, if you know Jesus, it's not because you earned it. It's not because you're good. It's because he saved you. Look at Romans 8, 1 through 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. If you are in Christ Right? We asked that question earlier. How can I know that I'm a wheat? If you're in Christ, you put your faith in him. If he's your king, then you are saved. And it is by his blood and his work alone. God is sovereign. He is in control over who approaches him, over who rejects him. He's in control of the weeds, in control of the wheat, in control of what is happening here today. God is in control. And that should be a comfort to those in his hand and a warning to those outside. He is sovereign over those who are salvation. Uh, he's sovereign over salvation. He is sovereign over us. And he will bring judgment for the wicked. He will bring true salvation and hope for the saved. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a good, holy God. The evil of this world grieves your spirit. 
It does not make you smile. It does not make you happy. You hate sin. Yet in ways we cannot understand, you have, you have waited. You have had endless mercy and grace towards the world, towards all of us. As we know, if you poured out your wrath on those who deserved it, all of us in this room would receive it. But the great news of the gospel is that Jesus has come and stood and taken that place. And so we're thankful for the salvation that we have. God, we know that there's, there's some in this room who don't know you. There's some in this room who, they're, they're fans, but they're not followers. God, I pray that now they would be hearers. As you said, let him hear this. They would look and they'd say, I do not want to serve another master besides my Lord. And God, we also know there's many of us in here who we can immediately think of names and faces of those who do not know you. And we desperately do not want them to be the weeds that are thrown into the fire. These are our, our mothers, our fathers, our sisters, our brothers, our classmates, our God, we know that you want to see them saved. And so we pray that you would use us. God, I just pray that hey, if you have someone in mind, would you just pray for that person now? Lord, we pray that you would bring salvation to these people. Pray you bring salvation to my family back home. And God, would you use us? Would you keep us from that instinct of being a, a gated gospel community? And so would you use us as a refuge? Use us as, as true missionaries for your people. Would you help us see people the way that you do? We love you, Lord. We ask these things in your name, knowing that you will be victorious. And we thank you. We say, come quickly. In your name we pray, amen.